0: So, this is the opposite of data protection. In fact, this is what happens when self regulation walks into a nightclub and meets some other self regulation, and together they have an inbred child. <laughs> <laughs> that is a brilliant You can deliver banjo oh, in yes. the back. <laughs>
1: It's The Zero Hour, brought to you by Safeguard Cyber. This is the podcast where we talk to innovative and transformational leaders, people at the edge of that next step, um, trying to get through transformation. And today, special edition for International Data Privacy Day, we have Dr. Johnny Ryan, who is the Chief Policy Officer at Brave, which you may or may not have heard of, the first privacy-first web browser.
2: We cover all of the issues. He tells us what real-time bidding is and why you should care.
1: Yeah, that is the entire architecture of ads on the internet, or as he calls them, all the squares and rectangles that, that chase you on the web. Um, we get, He has a very compelling argument about GDPR sponsoring and facilitating innovation. It's just, dude's brilliant, happy to have him, happy we could get him for uh, Data Privacy Day. So without further ado, Dr. Johnny Ryan. Hi, can
0: you
1: hear me? Hey, yes, we can. Hi, Dr. Ryan. Um, Thank you very much for booking this time on short notice. I know you're very busy. No problem. Um, All right. So welcome to the podcast. Happy International Data Privacy Day. Um, Your bio on the Brave website says, and I quote, like many Brave employees, he suffers from a syndrome called ad tech remorse, which we both love. Um, (laughs) Ashley and I both worked uh, in a media agency before coming over here. So we consider ourselves former hacks um, also. Yes. But uh, we love that term. It's the first time we've seen it. So just give us a, a highlight reel. Tell us about your journey, how you got to this point of ad tech remorse?
0: Yes, okay. Well, it, it comes from two different corners of the industry. A few years ago, I worked at a newspaper called the Irish Times, and I I had the, the job of chief innovation officer, which meant try to help the company do um, digital things, right? Which was uh, interesting for a print-based uh, reputable newspaper at that time. That meant um, essentially being a fan of the new, even though we now know that most of what was new at that point were incredibly damaging for the industry Mm -hmm. and for society. So I carry some guilt there. Um, Luckily, I wasn't very good at my job, (laughs) (laughs) so much of that didn't get implemented. Um, But in any case, uh, uh, I've seen it from the publisher's side, and it's painful. Okay. Um, more recently, I worked at an ad tech company called PageFair, which no longer exists. Um, at PageFair, we were working alongside, uh, not within, but alongside the real time bidding industry. So, um, for example, uh, partners, technical partners would have been um, AppNexus and mm-hmm. Index Exchange. These are two yep. of the big ad auctions, uh, ad exchanges. Um, now, we made a big bet at our company, um, a principled bet. We said, okay, what we're doing is not as bad as what everyone else is doing by a long, long way, but it's still going to be very clearly unlawful when the GDPR arrives. In fact, it was already unlawful under the old directive of 1995, but it would now matter that it was unlawful. Yes, <laughs> and the- a little <laughs> bit
1: more teeth to that legislation.
0: Exactly. So so we decided um, on the 25th of May, we would stop what we were doing. And about a year before that, we started to market a kind of a catalytic converter for ad tech (laughs) to to try and strip dangerous information out of um, the RTB system. Now, even our existing clients, after long discussions, um, even our existing clients who didn't fully realize how at risk they were. Um, ended up not buying the catalytic converter. Everyone went either for a fudge, in other words, let's let's have magic rectangles with the word accept or okay on them. Right. That makes the problem <laughs> go away. <laughs> that works neither technically nor legally. But anyway, um, the IAB, as we would say in Ireland, uh, sold the industry a pup, and the industry was very glad, I think, to buy that pup. Um, and we're now about to feel the consequences of that, having wasted two years of everyone's lives. In any case, uh, no one bought the catalytic converter. It was in no one's interest to, mm. to actually clean the industry. And so knowing that we were switching off the only revenue building a bit of our business, which was working with RTB, essentially the company had to fold slash sell itself So a month before the GDPR arrived, um, I and pretty much all of my colleagues uh, had to leave. And my first phone call was to a guy called Brendan Eich, who is my current boss. Oh, yes.
1: Mm -hmm. I I, I had the pleasure of meeting him uh, at CES.
0: Okay, very good. So um, Brendan, uh, you know, I had known him because at PageFair, we were on the other side of the ad block war. The PageFair philosophy was Ad blocking is a problem for publishers because however bad the ads are, some form of advertising does appear to be necessary. Some form, Mm -hmm. Uh, that's an important word, that (laughs) word some. Um, On the other hand, the fact that ad block is growing so quickly shows what everyone knows, which is that the advertising is also a problem. It's a problem for publishers, but it's a huge problem for people. It's jumping all over the page. It's snooping on their data. It's draining their batteries. It's a disaster. Mm -hmm. So the Pagefair model was, um, fine, people can block these terrible ads, but if they do that, then Pagefair will will put in a fallback ad, a a dumb ad, like an ad you'd see in the mid-90s. So let's imagine you're back on the Irish Times and you're reading about golf. You might just see a picture of a set of golf clubs in the corner. (laughs) And that's fine, right? You know, you should be able to deal with that. And if you can't, feel free to leave the page. That was our philosophy back then. The brave approach is to block all tracking, including tracking-based advertising, which essentially amounts to 99.5% of all advertising. Mm -hmm. So we were on opposite sides, but coming at it from the same perspective, that the user, the person using a website or an app or whatever... Um, does need to be protected against this system. We had had different ways of doing it. But we also um, recognized the need to support publishers. So even though, in theory, we were on other sides, actually we were completely compatible in the philosophy behind what we were doing. So um, Brendan was my first call, and uh, I started to work for him. Um, I think maybe on the 25th of May... 2018. I think so. And that was the day that the, the GDPR um, was applied. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that yeah, that is quite the journey. And it, and it strikes me that it highlights, I think, the principal conundrum or debate at the center of a privacy first browser versus uh, blocking advertising, which is it feels like kind of an arms race or a collective goods problem. Like everyone kind of gets that the ads are creepy that they follow you and all that, but like nobody wants to give that up if they think their competitors are going to get better conversion or sales from, you know, hounding cart abandoners or, or what have you. So like no one's willing to go in because they don't want to be the first one out. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. The, there's a first mover disadvantage. Yes. In the time bidding market too. Um, if, If you are a competitor of mine and you stop sending all of these data about the people visiting your site out to all of your potential bidders for ads, um, if you strip your bid requests in real-time bidding of targeting information uh, for very good reason, including for your own business, um, in the short term, it is highly likely that I, who have not done the same thing that you've done, will uh, will have a huge advantage in the market. That was an incredibly garbled way of saying what I wanted to say. <laughs> no, right. no, no, but
1: yeah, yes, the the point is taken. So, and so,
0: so the first mover disadvantage. Yes, and
1: I think for, so for our uh, listeners' benefit.
0: Yeah, and
2: could you explain what RTB is? What is that industry, and then how does it relate sure. to contextual bidding?
0: Every time you visit a website, or in many cases, load an app, um, the owner of the website or the app will will need to show you ads of some form in order to make revenue. Now, often, um, the system used to show the ad is called real-time bidding. What happens is, information about you is sent to at least one auction house known as an ad exchange. And That auction house sends that information onto tens or hundreds or conceivably thousands of technology companies, each of whom represent various advertisers. The idea is that those many, many advertisers are then in a position to know that you are on that page or loading that app, and they can then decide whether they want to make a bid for the opportunity to put their ad into the rectangle that appears on that page or in that app. So you end up with this competitive bidding process that happens in milliseconds, literally in the blink of an eye Mm -hmm. as you load the page. Now, in theory, this is very good because the publisher is maximizing the number of potential parties who uh, can bid for the opportunity to show you their ad. Now, that sounds like a great idea. Um, In the short term, the publisher does get a win, an ad is shown, but there are real problems here. The first problem is the information that are sent out about you in that broadcast to hundreds or thousands of companies every time you open a page or load an app, that information is saying essentially what every single person is reading, watching, or listening to all over the world. (laughs) (laughs) This is happening about everybody. Um, It generally says where they are sometimes exactly where they are. And in, in, in the case of one of these systems, it says what your GPS coordinates are. That's and just it's just chock- Yes, scary. it's uh, alarming. <laughs> yeah, right, so I'm describing a huge data breach, and it's chock full of highly personal data. So we're talking about a system that broadcasts the personal data of everybody, everywhere, around the world, to countless companies who do unknown things with them, w- with those data. And then no.
1: that data is also passed on to third-party providers. As we've seen, like a lot of the unsecured Elasa search databases or Mongo databases or S3 buckets in AWS, they're, they're all just like an aggregator that happens to store data, force another data provider that they didn't configure it properly.
2: Right, and from what I understand, you can't even track what happens once but, a data exactly. is sent.
0: Right, precisely. So here's the problem, right? You have this broadcast system, which is very efficient at sending data out all over the place. There is no control whatsoever um, on what happens to those data once they are sent, zero control.
1: Mm-hmm. Now,
0: if So we're still on problem one. There are many other problems. <laughs> but problem one is the data protection problem. And it's the focus of the complaints that, that I and others have filed with data protection authorities under the GDPR in 16 countries across the EU. Now, what the GDPR says in Article 51 f is you are not allowed to even have personal data. You're not allowed to process it in any way. You're not allowed to have it if you cannot control it, if you cannot secure it. Mm-hmm. So this is why the GDPR stands for General Data Protection Regulation. So the, the broadcasting idea is in, is entirely at odds with the idea of the protection idea. So if you're broadcasting personal data and yeah. you can't protect the personal data, you, you fail the GDPR test at the very first hurdle. Now, let's dig into that a little bit. Um, you can look at the RTB system in its entirety, actually through just two documents. There are two documents that define how the entire system works. Um, And that's because there are only two bodies that control how the system works. So one is Google, which runs what used to be called DoubleClick, Mm -hmm. but now a much more legitimate sounding name of authorized buyers. (laughs) (laughs) They needed to (laughs) rebrand wisely. Uh, Authorized sounds Bonafide,
2: <laughs> right.
0: as the guy, oh, brother, where art thou would say. That's right. To- <laughs> totally
1: legit enterprises, LLC.
0: I'm bonafide, baby. Mm-hmm. So so that's that. That's Google. Now, when you sign up as one of these parties to receive this data, right, as what's called a DSP, a demand side platform, or, or even a DMP, uh, a data management platform like Cambridge Analytica Um, if you sign up as a DSP with Google's authorized buyers to receive their data, you are going to have to, um, click or sign an agreement that says you're not allowed to use these data for, you know, bad reasons (laughs) later on in the document, it says, um, we want you to monitor your compliance with this. And if you plan to break our rules, uh, we'd like you to notify us in writing at your earliest convenience. <laughs> so, so this is the opposite of data protection. In fact, this is what happens when self-regulation walks into a nightclub and meets some other self-regulation, and together they have an inbred child. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is a brilliant, You can a hear brilliant, the beautiful. banjo oh, in yeah. the
0: background. <laughs> it's, it's an unholy, unhealthy, unethical disaster zone where self-regulation regulates self-regulation and uh, we all suffer. Now, that's the Google system. Google released a a blog post uh, recently saying it planned to update its auditing. Uh, I don't know what that really means. I think it might be a recognition that they have not. Um, But (laughs) at some point in the future, there may be some, uh, you know, visitor from Google visiting one of these hundreds or thousands of companies to ask, "What <laughs> would you please tell us, Scouts' Honor, what you do with the data that we send to you, hundreds of billions of times a day about what everyone on the planet is reading?"
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they've kept track of it.
0: <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, and I'm sure, Scouts' Honor, that that they'll tell you, right? <clears throat> so we 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 have a kind of an honor system among. Uh, uh, an honor system in the data industry, (laughs) which, I mean, that sentence alone uh, uh, could do with some elaboration, but, you know, I'm not going to elaborate. Let's move on to the other uh, system owner. So you've got the Google system, and then the other half of the RTB system is controlled by the IAB. Now, the IAB, if you're not familiar with them, are a global uh, lobby group for the tracking industry, and they also set the standards uh, of the tracking industry. So for example, <laughs> if if you are making a bid request uh, about someone who has suffered um, incest abuse, you will use the code IAB, uh, I think it's 3-35, <laughs> to categorize that bid request as relating to someone who is unfortunate enough to have suffered incest slash sexual abuse, because that's the IAB code for that content. Okay. And so this gives you a flavor for what these standards look like. They are so far from the human and from the person, um, that they are actually very hard to read. Uh, and I, I don't mean that in a technical sense. I mean,
1: it's so alienated, it right? It's so far, like in the classic sense of alienation. It's they so are far so removed.
0: immoral, and I don't mean yeah. amoral. I mean immoral. Yeah, they are so irresponsible and cavalier with the human that they make for very difficult reading.
1: Right. Ca- trying to catalog all of human but, uh, desire, but, uh, fear, trauma. It, it,
0: it, I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to get caught up on just the catalog here, which. I hope will be amended at some point in the future i mean the entire standard Mm -hmm. the entire open rtb standard as the Mm ib calls in in a document called this is public all these are public documents in a document called adcom which is part of open rtb version three the latest greatest rtb spec from the ib they give a summary example of a bid request at the very end of the document so this is the technical bible that you use to know how to how to work this system, as an engineer. And in this example, they give a bid request about a specific—I mean, a, a made-up person, but a specific person who's reading a particular thing. And she she's born in 1990. She's using she's using an iPhone 6s, and it gives where she's standing, her GPS coordinates. <laughs> it, it's crazy. So, it's insane. It's insanity it's pure insanity. So when you um read the guidelines for the IAB's so-called transparency and consent framework. This is their um uh, magical rectangular button with accept or okay written on it um you know solve for the GDPR. When you read version 1 of that documentation it's acknowledged in a in a document called pubvendors.json that thousands of companies can receive bid request data from a single impression, thousands of companies, and that there is no technical way to limit what is done with the data once it's received. So that's pretty astounding.
1: Right, it's basically admitting to like, this is a Pandora's box. Once you click this impression, it's going into the world and it is impossible to track.
0: Exactly, yes, exactly. And when you dig through the rest of the documents, Version 2, because version 1 was so good, they needed to come up with a version 2. <laughs> version 2 of the Transparency and Consent Framework, which is running at the same time as version 1, by the way.
1: <laughs> okay. I, I'm trying to follow that, but okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, clearly, there was a problem with version 1. So, let's introduce version 2. Meanwhile, version one's still running. Version 2 says, um, the management organization, which is the IAB, uh, may in the future introduce some form of auditing. <laughs> So we have, we have
1: future plans to consider doing this.
0: Exactly. So, so this is the same thing you get from Google. And most recently, um, the IB in the UK announced that they had a work stream. They announced this in January, a work stream to consider security issues. That's what they told the UK regulator. Uh, not that the UK regulator has actually done anything at all about this problem. Uh, quite, quite the contrary from what I can see. So we have a massive, huge data free-for-all. And I don't say the word huge without reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's start talking about scale. This is, this is when the jaw really will start to drop. Um, you know, when you talk about uh, data breaches, we're used to thinking about hundreds of millions of people. It's, it's hard to be surprised, isn't it? I mean, we keep hearing about breaches, and they're always so vast, majestic. Well, I'm going to tell you how many of these bid requests are processed by one particular ad exchange, ad auction house. Index Exchange, according to its own materials, which are public, processes 50 billion bid requests a day. Now, that is 50 billion (laughs) broadcasts about what a person different people probably in, in most cases, about what a person was reading, watching, uh, or listening to, maybe where they were, about their device, details and IDs that are highly specific to them so that you can match each of these things up together and build a profile. So 50 billion of these little micro breaches a day from Index Exchange. Index is the smallest of the biggest um. Of the biggest ad exchanges, so OpenX says it processes 60 billion a day. Rubicon it doesn't give a billion a day figure, but it says it's 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 tracking these things from one billion people's devices. Pubmatic claims it processes 70 billion a day. Uh, Oath says it does 90 billion a day. AppNexus is somewhere about. Um, 131 billion a day, Smato somehow claims 214 billion a day, and Google is clever enough to give no figures whatsoever. (laughs) But we know that its system for this is live on 8.4 million websites at least. So we are talking about a data breach that reveals what everybody on the planet is reading, watching, and listening to. What everyone is reading, watching, and listening to. Broadcasting that out to thousands of companies, hundreds of billions of times a day, possibly upwards of a trillion times a day. So this is, in my mind, um, unquestionably, the vastest data breach that has ever been recorded. That
1: is is technically ongoing.
0: Well, it's systematic and ongoing. I mean, the figures I'm giving you are for every day.
1: Right. (laughs) So, (laughs) well, so I think... That is staggering. I actually have goosebumps. Um but now, I guess I wanna uh, I guess I wanna uh, back. By the
0: way, let me just say that was problem one with RTV. There is a list. Right. <laughs> but, right. come on with your
1: question. but I but I guess I wanna back into, you know, it, it appears um to the outsider that this tracking is largely invisible and that because of Either, you know, geo located results or what have you that um, the search giants and uh, the advertisers have kind of inured the public to this behavior and they have been willing to trade convenience, you know, for, you know, I can search restaurants near me and and get the results that I want in exchange for this. Now, I don't think that they understood the bargain uh, for sure. But how do you work against that behavior? How do you how do you try to teach a new behavior? This
0: is not uh, – RTB is not about a trade-off between convenience and functionality.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, nobody gets anything that they would not otherwise get from real-time bidding. A publisher does not need real-time bidding to show ads. And if there were enforcement such that there was no um, broadcast of personal data – you could still have pretty well uh, targeted ads that were relevant, without exposing people's privacy. Right. So, you'd still, as a user, have access to the same content. You just wouldn't be subject to the data breach.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But what's going on with RTB is users are not aware of it. Right. They just for sure. have yes. not heard of it. I mean, this is we've been pushing this onto the front pages twice in the last two months, I think, of the Financial Times, and it's starting to get airplay. Um, you know, in, in normal media. But for years, RTB has been growing quietly in the background. And it's its its existence is really only a subject for the um the ad tech trade press who crow about it constantly. But the average person using the internet um or a connected device is not aware of it. Um there is no additional benefit to the user from real-time bidding and actually aside from the data breach problem it is also um causing serious harm to sustainable media so there's a long term pain aside from the data breach issue that the user will experience
1: yeah so i so when we're talking about you know brave trying to create an entirely new model for browser experience and really internet experience. Could you, could you take a moment to explain to, again, if I tried to explain brave to my mom, I would probably flub my line, but I'm trying to say she would understand the ad block, uh, feature. She would understand the privacy. It doesn't track what you do, but I'm curious about the basic attention token, like trying yeah. to, to create that um, inner economy inside of the interactive experience. I would love to hear more about that
0: yeah okay but what I like about the the brave approach um to online uh utility transfers right or online payments is actually that although it involves crypto, it's really simple <laughs> it's not complicated at all you like simple um, yeah I, I, I so if you are going to find yourself having to block all tracking-based ads. Functionally, you're going to end up blocking nearly all ads. That is what's happening right now. And that means you're turning off a major, in some cases, the only revenue stream for the publisher who is producing the editorial content or the editorial content that people want to see. Right. Now, that's a disaster. That cannot happen. So Brave's approach is, instead of just blocking the tracking-based ads and hurting publishers and thereby undermining the sustainability of the web, you need to insert a a new model um, where this problematic model is being switched off for your users. So the new model is, if a person decides that they do want to see offers that hopefully are going to be relevant to them, then they can decide to switch on something called Brave Ads, only if they want to. Mm -hmm. Now, if they switch on Brave Ads, what will happen is a profile of them will exist on their device. Their device will operate as a a Faraday cage for their personal data. It will never leave the device. Brave, as a company, by the way, cannot get at it. (laughs) We, We don't get it. No other companies get it either. But this profile on the device is highly intimate to you. It knows what you're doing when, right? it knows the things that your device can know. So it's actually really good at knowing what you might be interested in. Every day or every hour, depending on the the way things are set up, a catalog of ads is sent to a geographical region and, uh, sorry, is sent to each device in Mm -hmm. a geographical region where those devices have said, yes, we're interested in ads. And the profile of you that lives on the device, think of it as your spirit animal in a sense, <laughs> will, will sift through those and it'll decide which ones might be relevant to you. So This is trying to make the user agent, which is what web browsers are supposed to be. The user agent is the one that knows you well enough to decide whether to show you an offer or not. You can say, I don't want to see any offers, or you have a control to say, okay, I want to see some offers, and I I, I can decide to see between one and five every hour. It's entirely up to you. Now, when you see one of these offers, um, no one knows that you are the individual who has seen it. It could be that the offer says, would you like to test drive an Audi tomorrow outside your office? And if you if you want to do this you know you're going to have to kind of click to to send us your driving license <laughs> so that we know it's okay for you to drive our car but I, i'm making that up uh I, you know as yes. we speak mm-hmm. right but we aren't saying that that no advertiser can ever have a have a relationship with with a brave user we're we're saying the the user of brave is the one who decides when they when they want to open a, a hailing channel to a to a marketer, right, and it's their agent who decides that they should even be troubled with the prospect of doing that now, when the ad is shown, there is going to be uh, some financial value to that ad, right so brave takes a cut because it it enabled that exchange to happen. The user of brave also gets a cut because it's their attention that is being. Um, well, it's their attention that everyone wants, right?
2: Right.
0: Mm-hmm. But also, all of the publishers that that user has visited and spent time on, in the last whatever the auditing period, uh, sorry, accounting period is, it, it could be a month, could be a week. I I honestly cannot remember the detail. But all of the publishers that that brave user has visited, unless the brave user has said that they don't want these particular publishers to receive. Um, uh, some but All of those publishers will also receive a cut of that ad. Now, what we're talking about is essentially breaking up the value of that one ad from Audi, that Audi paid brave, breaking that up between hundreds, maybe thousands of different parties, depending on how many publishers you visited. And there isn't a way to do that <laughs> without paying you know, fees for each separate uh, transaction. There isn't really a way to do that unless you do it the way Brave is currently doing it, at at least not from what I've heard. So Brave has something called the BAT, the Basic Attention Token. Uh, Technically, it's called a utility token. Um, It's a cryptocurrency. And that means uh, if if X is paid uh, for the ad, then one single publisher may receive Y as a result of the visit that you made to them earlier in the month. Without everyone involved having to incur really disproportionate fees for breaking the amount up into these micropayments, mm-hmm. for each publisher, that means that they are getting incremental revenue. right now, something like over 300,000 different publishers, from big newspapers and TV, TV networks all the way down to individual YouTube channels, you know, all sizes um, But something like 300,000 of these publishers have have verified with Brave so that they do receive these incremental payments. Yes, it it strikes
1: me as um, particularly noteworthy that I think if you were to explain this model to the average marketing agency, they'd be like, well, it doesn't scale or something. But we've seen Brave get consistent growth. Uh-huh. right like yeah. your user base has grown dramatically so there's yeah. clearly some market force there um that's helping or and, aiding that
0: user base has grown quite organically it's only i think it's only in november if i remember that brave even launched version one so it's been in a beta for a long time or pre-beta mm-hmm. and, and it's it's kind of growing word of mouth wise in it it seems. I'm not on the marketing team, but, but so it seems to me. And um, I've been in the room with marketers and agencies uh, you know, when that discussion happens. And what they are looking for is some system that can work without exposing them to legal risk under privacy laws and in an,
1: yeah, yeah, an increasingly differentiated regulatory environment CCPA, New York is coming on GDPR, oh, I, right? And it gets kind of nightmarish to try and yeah, navigate that.
0: I would I would forget about CCPA by the way. Um CCPA is a highly watered down version of what Alistair MacTaggart and uh uh and and his team um were were proposing.
1: Oh, okay. Um,
0: he has a new initiative coming in November. Um Kepra, And Kepra is basically what CCPA should have been. It is not going to go through the same process that the CPA did. It is going to go directly to Californians who will have a yes, no vote on the ballot. And uh, the polling I've seen shows that only 4% of Californians will say no. So don't worry about CCPA. Worry about CCPA too, which is much, much tougher. And uh, Brave is much more supportive of it. Um, yes. Mm, excellent.
1: So, excellent distinction.
0: So, so there is this uh, this regulatory fire insurance issue, but there is also something really important here. Um, marketers, from what I've seen, like Brave, uh, because Brave works for them. <laughs> if if you have people who have opted in to ads, right? It, it's not that they didn't opt out; it's that they actually opted in.
1: And that's a and, real user instead of a impression as a real, or a yeah. whatever <laughs> magic. Yeah, metric exactly. you want to use.
0: As a, as a bona fide human being right, who lives in the planet earth, uh, that's a big difference. Now, every now and again, once in on a blue moon, from what I've seen, I see an email come into the company going, hey, I'm getting these things and I don't know what they are. I never opted for this. Where, where someone, maybe, maybe because we didn't design it clearly enough or they made an accident, whatever, or someone misclicked and opted in by mistake. What is amazing is how few of those there are. So people who see these ads are actually in the market for these offers, right? Right. which is which distinguishes them from everyone else uh, on the internet.
1: Yeah, and I think that was that was the the snake oil sold was that at this massive scale that you could get really low cost marketing. Yeah. But then the quality yeah. of the return was either. Uh, I don't know, made up or it just, um, you know, it's like, it's, yes, it's going to cost me more to reach these real human beings on brave, but I know that they are actual buyers who have shown interest because yeah. they had to opt in is of, you know, that cost benefit analysis becomes a little easier to I think reconcile. That's a big deal. Yeah.
0: I I, George, I I mean, I, I would agree because I work for the company, but I, I do think, <laughs> and you know, funnily enough, it's actually surprisingly expensive to waste money, um, advertising to bots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. but it's like, like a feedback it, loop. You're like, you're like in this, uh, rarefied environment and everyone's speaking about this language. And I have this $50,000 test budget, just like blast a bunch of display ads. Yes. And it's like, yeah, yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's $50,000 that you just yeah, torched.
0: Yeah 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 even Facebook is dumping billions of fake accounts right bots mm-hmm. even Facebook's dumping billions of fake accounts every half year right and mm-hmm. it only has two point seven billion people on it so right
1: right so, that math like, is shady you know, best. There,
0: there's a problem so um i I can tell you uh the brave ads system has been running for i think seven months now, I think it's seven months and it's four or 500 campaigns in, so it's early days. Um, But using the metric that the rest of the industry tends to use, it's not a very good metric, by the way. Uh, We should move to a better one, Uh, but the metric is click-through rate. How many people click through? Um, Let me see. I'm just digging through through some detail here. Okay, so the average click-through rate for Google Display ads, right? So Google Display are basically any yep. rectangles in the Google app. <laughs> rec- all the rectangles, okay. <laughs> all the rectangles, baby. It could be video, it could be a picture, whatever. Right. Um, is 0.46%. Roger right. that. So it's a little bit higher than I thought. <laughs> yeah, it's higher than I would have thought too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I check these figures? Anyway, um, uh, what's that footnote? Okay, so the. Uh, anyway, so the best figures that I have in front of me which is quite a caveat. Say that <laughs> Google Display is getting uh, an average of 0.46%. percent. Let's be generous and say half a percent, right? And that includes, of course, multi-billion-dollar bot fraud. Yes. Now, yep. Facebook is doing twice as well. It's at point nine percent, right? Yeah, <laughs> and that right. includes some thought issues too
1: yes hence the migration of media dollars into facebook <laughs> and hence you know the right, so,
0: behemoth. So, so there's a problem um but you know problems happen google search is double again 1.91 percent so yep. google display almost half a percent facebook display almost one percent google search almost two percent braves click-through rate right now for brave ads is 12 percent.
1: that is bananas That's
0: awesome <laughs> well I, now it may not last. By the way, so let's just um, let's just set expectations here. Uh, there are very good reasons why it should be an order of magnitude better. But
1: well, certainly, there is
0: also a novelty factor. Um, this was higher; it was far higher uh, in the immediate period that it was mm-hmm. launched, and it came down precipitously. This is a more mature figure. But it could easily go down to ten or I nine mean, percent. I mean, that's still again orders <laughs> which of is magnitude higher than one <laughs> yeah, percent or half a percent. Yeah. yeah, it's a different ball game, and you know we have very good reason to expect that we don't have the bot fraud problem that others do. Um, although it's on us to prove that, we need to come out with auditing that proper auditing. Plenty of people have audited. We need to come out with really good auditing, <laughs> right? And make these. Um, different ballgame type of figures uh completely immune to any challenge um and i have to say we haven't done that right that's a piece of work to be done in the future mm-hmm. but what we've seen and we're happy with these figures internally you know brendan Ike has done something here mm-hmm. um i was not sure brave at work when i heard about it first the idea of micro payments subsidizing uh material uh, i hate using the word content subsidizing editorial material and entertainment material all over the web the idea of micropayments subsidizing that has always been a pipe dream until now it it goes back to the original invention of the hypertext idea by ted nelson in the 60s what nelson thought would happen is as people passed around the internet clicking, well, the internet didn't exist, right. as people passed through Xanadu, his, his hypertext uh, idea, um, they would be leaving kind of breadcrumbs of, of value, monetary value as they went. This is that, actually. And it takes all of the, the hot air out of crypto, in a sense, and, and just applies it to be really efficient plumbing,
1: Yeah. uh, Yes. I think that's like an applied technology rather than just like a, you know, cool buzzwordy. That's a very nice
0: way of putting it. Yeah, Yeah,
1: that's it. And I think, I think this is interesting and it, it, you know, it's innovative and it's tricky because the rest of the world is just speaking in a different language. And I think it's, it's going to take some time, but I'm encouraged by the organic growth. I am very curious uh, when we were doing the research for this podcast, you have a, unique and compelling argument to at least our ears that GDPR is essential for innovation. And I I do want, we're sort of winding down on time, but I want to make sure we give you time for that because that argument is just, it's different than the entire argument around GDPR. It's like, oh, we have to comply. Is this necessary? It's going to detonate th- this particular industry. It's a regulatory burden. I want to give you space for that because I think it's unique and yeah. I hadn't heard it before.
0: Okay. Uh, It's a good question. First, is it a regulatory burden that is disproportionately um, felt by smaller rather than larger companies? The answer is no. Um, The GDPR is a risk-based regulation, and that means it targets the big players that cause the biggest risks and the biggest harms. Now, sometimes it takes an awful lot of work to bring those, those players to heel but it gives the enforcer the power to discipline them and to to force them to change how they do business. The GDPR is not built to penalize a particular startup or other unless that startup is handling the personal data of millions of people and throwing it all over the internet. Now there are many of startups in the RTB business and those guys do deserve to be penalized if that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But the real challenge from the GDPR is felt by Facebook, by Google, all of, all of those big companies, and I'll tell you why. There's a few reasons. The first is, I often describe this syndrome, this system as a system of cascading monopolies. So, George, if, if you and I set up a ride-hailing business, and it grows on the merits to be a, you know, a 10 million user company, where 10 million people are using our our ride-hailing app. If we do that, and then if we open up another line of business in pizza deliveries, and we take all of the data from our ride-hailing business and just drop it, drop those network effects into the other line of business, pizza delivery systems uh, or uh, pizza delivery service, we basically steamroll steamroll over the mom-and-pop shops. Mm -hmm. Right? They would just be evaporated because our get big fast network effect thing that worked in one line of business could now be offensively leveraged into this second line of business. And if we're one of the big current tech companies, we would then then steamroll into a succession of businesses Cascading our monopoly
1: yes I've heard this repeatedly the story is you know the startup is one thing I need to solve this one problem and then they go to pitch and they're like and we have this additional revenue stream in monetizing the data like that became the the language it's like once we capture sure. it just sell it
0: <laughs> well, well well that's a problem but I'm actually talking about something else I'm saying you get really big in one area and then you take mm-hmm. your big all the data you have to demolish your 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 the incumbents in some new area that that you enter
1: like expanding moats
0: yes like expanding moats that's exactly it but it's almost like you're (laughs) airdropping moats so instead of having to compete on the merits in each separate market in each separate line of business you're offensively leveraging now the the gdpr says and this is based on american law from the 70s believe it or not it says you cannot use data Outside of the purpose for which it was collected, it's called purpose specification.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, here's what that means, right? It means if Facebook or Google have data about you on for for one reason, they can't have an internal data free for all. They are supposed to ring fence the data tightly. They can't use data from one end of their business to prop up the other end of their business and compete with some other company unlawfully.
1: Right, which is it, the pass through.
0: Exactly. right. So today, that is exactly what they're doing. And what you're going to hear from us at Brave in the coming weeks is a new set of complaints targeting those companies and forcing the regulator, or at least helping the regulator, to enforce um, purpose limitation. And that will have the effect of allowing users to lobotomize those big companies. Instead of saying, delete Facebook, a yes or no, the user will then be in a position to say, I only want Facebook to be allowed to use my data for this little thing over there. It can't use my data for all these other things. And essentially what that will do is functionally break up those companies because they will not be allowed to cross use data for whatever purpose they want. Now that's the GDPR and that's what it can do. And w- there's, a, there's a mood, uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a story prevailing that the GDPR is some um, you know, uh, excessive regulatory burden dreamt up by the Europeans. But make no mistake, the GDPR is heavily based on what are called the FIPS, the Fair Information Processing Principles, that came out of the United States in 1973. Yeah, I don't and think
1: that, anyone is talking about that. <laughs> it,
0: this is crazy. And, and the FIPS form the backbone to the US Privacy Act of 1974, right? So the GDPR is simply the Europeans taking these ideas, and, and, and they've taken them earlier, actually, in the 1995 directive and weaponizing them. Now, it is essential, as a federal law is considered, that the FIPS get a proper look, see. And what we have been advising lawmakers in the US um, on is is saying, look, GDPR is emerging as a de facto uh, standard across the world. Because there are so many GDPR clones, they account for more than 51% of the global uh, GDP. So what the US should do is build on the FIPS, which are its ideas, it should bring those ideas home, it should essentially legislate for a GDPR-like law and then through enforcement action and and through court decisions in american courts take ownership of the global data protection legal system and and that is how you you set the rules for international data trade brilliant
2: i everything that you've been saying is pointing out that the individual is the one that holds the power and we often have this debate internally why why aren't we seeing more companies focus on privacy first? Why aren't we seeing that inherent in designs mm-hmm. and the tools that we use? Uh, we don't, it seems like people, maybe there's an education gap, especially in the States, but everything that you're pointing out is saying that the individual can actually shape the market and demand privacy uh, as a right. So what should the average person be doing to get involved or think about this?
0: Okay. First thing, um, there are very simple protections one can take. Um, the company I work for, Brave, has a web browser, as you know, um, and I really would suggest installing it. Uh, to use, it feels almost exactly the same as Chrome, with the difference that the internet works much faster because all of the the tracking is being blocked, or we hope all of it, maybe almost all of it, we're, we're still building the, the, the protections but you'll have a far safer journey through the internet if you're using Brave. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, depending on the jurisdiction one lives in, there are different things one can do. Right now in the United States, it is essential to send the message loud and clear into, I think, a willing consensus on both sides of the aisle in Washington that a federal privacy law should, at a minimum, have the standards of the GDPR and should be based on the American FIPS, on which the GDPR is also based. If one is in um, the European economic area and has the GDPR at their disposal, one is in a position to actually do three things. If you feel that you are um, uh, subject to uh, unlawful processing of your data, which is highly likely, I would say inevitable, there are three things you can do. The first thing is, you can take the company involved or companies to your local data protection authority. That's the first thing. The second thing you can do is you can take the company at the same time to court if you wish. And the third thing you can do is if your data protection authority does not act um, in a manner that you would have expected with your complaint, you can take your data protection authority court so there's quite a few ways that you can vindicate your rights and the private right of action that people in europe enjoy is currently one of the battleground issues in the us privacy law debate Mm -hmm. i think it's a good idea for everyone to be pressing for that private right of action that's great that's
1: brilliant well um i think that's the time that we have for today thank you again very much for, for getting on the phone afternoon your time on, on such short notice to help us celebrate uh, International Data Privacy Day. Uh, curious if you are if you all in the office are, are celebrating in any particular way. <laughs> uh,
0: well, I, I work from home in Dublin, actually, so... Uh, <laughs> pri- private party. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. Uh,
1: um, but um, thank you again for the time. We really appreciate it.
0: Yes, thank you okay, for joining. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys.
1: All right. Cheers. Bye. well thank you for tuning in if you like what you've heard give us a rating give us a review we'd love to hear from you um in the meantime we give our thanks to abby bruce as ever for sound design and production matthias sefaletti for our theme music and until next time stay safe this is the safeguard zero hour signing off